L'influenza radicale. Radicale, sì. Veniate per spiegare. La radicale. Radicale. The radical flu. The radical flu. Radicale grippe. Hello, Rose. Hey, Rose. We are Rose Hammer, a collectively authored artistic persona consisting of several members aiming to escape the logic of the individual artist. Becoming instead a transnational, transgenerational, transdisciplinary entity. An internationale femme fatale. And it's great to be back here at Radio Rakel. Oh, yes. Ah, that's right, Rose. This is your first time here in the studio. So, how does it feel? Just like you described it, Rose. Super. Well, let's get right into the hour devoted to our radio play, The Radical Flu. This time, we'll be listening to part one of the second episode, Roses Are Red. And that's not all. After we've listened, be sure to stay tuned as we are joined in the studio by a very special guest. Sofia Rana sits on the city council of Oslo and is head of the Anti-Racist and Minority Policy Committee for the political party Rött. But before we begin, I think we need a little rehash from last week. You want to take that away, Rose? Sure. So um, last week we heard the first episode in our second series of Rose Hammer's national episode called Ibsen, Ibsen, Ibsen. We were presented with an encounter between Edvard Munch and Gustav Vigeland in something that sounded quite like a small quarrel, no? Uh, while they were walking amongst the gravestones at Vårfrelses uh, Gravlund here in Oslo. And for that matter, was it even Ibsen we heard speaking from out of a stone? I guess we'll never know. On top of that, you met two members of Rose Hammer in a conversation with Kari Brandtsegg an art historian and curator working at the Munch Museum, who helped us add some thoughts and background to the first scene concerning the character's possible views regarding the growing presence of women in public life, as well as the impact that the war had on the development of the arts. Kari also spoke about the prominence of strong women surrounding both these men, And this all brings us just closer and closer to the next chapter of the Radical Flu. Roses are Red. Roses are Red will be aired in two segments, so be sure to tune in next week to hear part two as well. All right, that was it. Let's all sit back um, with some distance and... Give lots of love to our technician, Claire, who will be with every rose during our time here at Radio Rockel the world's oldest feminist radio station, FM 
The Radical Flu by Rose Hammer, a radio play in eight parts, produced in collaboration with Nortam and Radio Rakil, the world's oldest feminist radio station. The Radical Flu, part two. Roses are red. The Radical Flu is a radio play by Rose Hammer, and part of Rose Hammer's national episode series. Roses Are Red is the second chapter of this radio play. 1918 was in Norway, Europe and the world the year of the flu pandemic, or the Spanish flu, caused by the H1N1 influenza A virus. The death toll of the Spanish flu worldwide is estimated to have been somewhere between 17 million and 50 million, making it one of the deadliest pandemics in human history. In Norway, it took 15,000 lives. But next to that, 1918 was as well the year that World War I ended, and the year where the Norwegian Labour Party, inspired by the October Revolution, radicalised to join the Communist International. And half of humanity... Women had an important role in all this. Characters Anna Jonsson, member of the Norwegian Labour Party. Hanna Adolfsson, member of the Norwegian Labour Party and head of the Norwegian Labour Party's Women's Federation from 1920 to 1923. Rakel Grepp, Norwegian journalist and politician for the Norwegian Labour Party. Marta Tines, one of the pioneering members of the Norwegian Labour Party's Women's Federation, which he presided from 1904 to 1920. The Radical Flu has been commissioned by Uslo Biennale with the kind support of Kuf Kiel. Along the streets of the grey-grey city of Oslo, the scent of turmoil fills the air. Despite Norway's neutrality during the First World War, it is clear from steadily increasing class divisions that there are always those who benefit and those who suffer. This day, the 28th of March 1918, would indicate a changing of tides within the Norwegian Labour Party. Mentalities were shifting and a majority vote that would be reached would hurdle the party into a process of radicalization. The women of the party had reached a similar crossroads at their yearly congress some months prior, yet had managed to maintain a rather moderate position, contrary to the brewing opposition they were about to confront. Rakel Grepp waits patiently at Soliplass for her fellow comrade Hanna Adolfsson. Both women have been actively trying to instill more radical thoughts within Arbeiderpartiets Kvinneforbund, the Women's Association of the Labour Party. Grepp, through her writings in Vortid, 
the weekly journal of her husband Hira, and Ardovson with her needle-like belief, after all, she was a semstress, in the dictatorship of the proletariat. Her role within the Norwegian Tailors' Association would give her the leverage she needed in order to make her voice and the demands of the female workers heard within the Women's Association, in which she always delivered with razor-sharp candor. Rachel! Rachel! Sorry, I'm so sorry to keep you waiting. It's fine, Hannah. No need to get flustered. We have more than enough time. Although, we did just manage to miss the tram. Did you see it had a female conductor? Oh, it would have been so delightful to ride down to the meeting with one of our female comrades. You see less and less of them on the tracks nowadays. Yes. It's quite a shame that their presence is dwindling now that our men have less duties in regards to the war. Seems like all their hard work has gone unrecognized, especially after having been met by such utter bigotry. Do you know what they had the audacity to call them in the newspaper? Hmm? Wild birds. <sighs> As if they were some kind of exotic animals wishing to be gawked at and made a spectacle of. Are you referring to the writings in the Norske Intelligenzsedler? Why am I not surprised? They've managed to turn that paper into an organ for Gunnar Knudsen's goddamn machine. Do you really read that nonsense? I keep myself informed from all sides. Well, it is one thing to be insulted in print. But I've heard the male conductors with my own ears. They call them Trikina, right to their faces, as if they were prostitutes loitering on the streets. Absolutely despicable behavior amongst comrades. Well, Hannah, good thing we have something to do then, besides washing dishes. Organizing the unions must be done in order to create better working conditions for all, not just some. Here, here. But to be honest, I much prefer to walk. Who knows what pestilences are jumping around in those cramped carriages. I wouldn't dare bring anything unexpected into our home. Especially now with Shira's condition. <sighs> Shall we then? As the two continue walking in the direction of Jungstorge, a strain of sorrow falls over Rachel's face. The greps were hardly strangers to pestilence. Shira had been diagnosed with tuberculosis of the throat the same disease that had claimed the life of his brother some years prior, and the lives of two of the Grepp's children. It would be the cause behind his silence, as he would lose his voice completely during the year of 1917, a year accompanied by frequent visits to the Jösegården sanatorium. Rakel would be left alone in Oslo to take care of running both Vortid and the household. A household struck by plague again and again. Nevertheless, the work for the party continued, seemingly unremitted. Yes, where is Shira anyhow? Did he already go ahead to meet Tranmail, making some last-minute preparations for their coup d'etat? Shira isn't coming. Not coming? What do you mean? He's having one of those bouts with his tuberculosis again, 
so he's resting. You know, he can barely get out a word. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Both for your sake and for the parties. Tranmel is going to feel so lost without him. But how are you? I'm fine. Rachel, my dear. You don't always have to be so amiable. The difficulty of political work and running a household is never to be undermined. I am a woman that has suffered loss and knows very well the pain of grief. Do let me know if you need anything. Thank you, Hannah. Now, in regards to the fire starters at the Congress, I can imagine there won't be too many opposing perspectives coming out of the woodwork. Besides, you know how Odlo Leon is. He'll try to play on everybody's side just to smooth over the real issues to try and dampen the flames. Perhaps. But I think you and me know exactly how quickly things can escalate, especially with all those hot-headed men at the table. You know they are coming from all over the country. I have heard for the Taylor's Association that people are starting to wake up and realize Leon and his other moderate fools have been in power far too long. None of them seem remotely interested in addressing the issues that are gravely affecting our livelihood. I see. Our needs and those of female workers are being denied. We must confront the neglect of our male comrades. This I couldn't agree with more, but I believe it's a problem of perspective. Things have been difficult, but I fear that becoming too vocal about the domestic space and women's needs will scare off the men. Sending them into a state of sexist rage? Next thing we know, they'll be calling us wild birds. Or even worse, wannabe bourgeoisie. Ha! Under my dead proletariat body. Come on, Hannah. We need to be strategic. The conservative leadership we see now is frightened by the potential of a separate movement within the greater party and within the women's association. The men can't expect us to be revolutionaries, both within the party and in the home. And that's why we need to work together. Politics occupies all these spaces as one and affects everything that is daily life. This is something our bourgeois rivals could never understand. Precisely. Our work goes beyond property, beyond inheritance, and leaves no one behind. The two of them breathe deeply and clutch onto one another, knowing very well that struggles lay ahead. There will be victories, such as full voting rights for women in 1919, along with the eight-hour workday, Yet, there would also be defeat, as Jung Storge would become a symbol for the loss of momentum within the Labour Party during the 20s as less and less workers would gather. And here we are, at the heart and soul of our movement, the beat and pulse of our cause. Our dear Jung Storge. Ah, look, there's Marta. Looking quite bushy, as usual. Marta Tines, chairwoman of the Women's Association since 1906, had sensed the onset of a more radical tone developing within the party. She believed that these ideals would only ensue an even greater amount of hardship, 
Tiernes was an idyllic beauty whose coiffure revealed her cautious leadership and accommodating manner. Regardless of personal opinion, her ambition was executed with elegance and grace. Naive? She was not. Tiernes had grown wary that her male comrades had been oblivious to the demands of her fellow women workers and had decided, Enough is enough. Rather than attempting to rally her troops, which had never been her forte, she preferred to pursue a disparate path. She offered to step down and resign from her position as chairwoman. To her dismay, she was overruled by gaining a majority vote over her more revolutionary runner-up, Adolfsson. Good day, Marta. Hanna. Rachel. Mrs. Tunis. I'm afraid this will be the day those imbeciles will seize control of our dear party. Oh, come on, Marta. Don't go on pretending like Bolshevism is the germ. You know very well that we need to see a change within the leadership. I mean, after all, that's why you tried to resign, isn't it? Why is it so difficult for you to understand my point of view? I just don't believe that the opposition and its revolution will put food on the table. Enough, ladies. There is no need to be hostile. We are on the same side. The least we could do is try to give each other some support during this Congress. No, it's fine, Rachel. I don't need to justify my actions to Mrs. Adolfsson. Besides, you two are hoping for a far-fetched utopia. A revolution? Here. I mean... Do you think your esteemed colleague Martin Tranmel and his <coughs> colleagues could whip something up to that magnitude? I doubt it. Mr. Tranmel isn't exactly the sharpest tool in the shed. Oh, I believe he is, Marta. And I am appalled by how you dare to speak to us about our fellow party members. Fair enough, he's surrounded by his male bunnies that seem to obey his every desire. But his sheer power speaks to the whole workers' movement, not just the upper class of it. I thought you believed in strength and unity. A few years ago, you welcomed with open arms our dear comrade Alexandra Kolontai to rally up our female comrades. And you know what? Comrade Kolontai truly believes in Tranmi. We are changing, but change must be gradual. Mass protests will not get us anywhere, and upheaval, even farther away from bettering our society and our schools. Not to mention it was a rally for peace, not exactly the call to a revolution you two are dreaming of. Oh my, Kolontai would be so disappointed in you. Let me remind you that it was you, Marta, who inaugurated the first women's day in our dear Oslo. I'll never forget that day in 1915. Falkert's hose was filled to the brim. You couldn't squeeze one more person inside that room. It was beautiful. Her words spoke to everyone. But more importantly, so did yours. What happened to your spirit? You were even one of the first women to be elected into the city council. Yes. And did we double in level-headed decision-making? Okay, ladies, let's not forget. That was then. This is now. Today, there are other matters to attend to. Marta, what will you be addressing on our behalf today at the meeting? 
since it's clear that we are underrepresented. You don't need to worry about that. Radical, I'm not. As a woman of my word, there will be no surprises. I will bring up the points we've discussed previously at our meeting in regards to use of physical disciplining within our schools. But you know, it's not me I'm worried about. You mean Madame Jonsson? Anna Jonsson. The worker, the woman of mystery with little historical remnants, yet as far as quotes go, Jonsson urged women to extend their intelligence as much as possible in order to meet their male comrades in the common struggle. Why the concern? We know where she stands. She's a strong voice with her feet on the ground. Hmm. Well, come on then, let's go inside. It's quite chilly out even for the end of March. Hope I don't catch anything. So, I wonder what that Anna Johnson was brewing up. Yeah, I know. Probably something a bit more radical than her conservative counterpart, Marta Tunis. Guess we'll have to find out next week. But you know, uh, that was then. And this is now. You're listening to The Radical Flu by Rose Hammer on Radio Rakel, the world's oldest feminist radio station, FM 99.3. And now I think it's time that we introduce our guest for today. Sofia Rana, we are so happy you can be here with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. It's really nice to be here. And you are not, uh, this is not the first time you've been on Radio Akel, so you are familiar with the setting. Yeah, it's, uh, I've been here, uh, it was almost a year ago. Yeah. Great. So I would, since we already introduced you, I would like if... Maybe you, in your own words, could introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, it's uh, per now. I'm uh, I'm in the city council in Oslo. Uh, I work in the city planning committee. Well, not work, but that's uh, that's where I am right now. And uh, I'm also the leader of uh, the anti-racist. And I don't remember the whole thing in English. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> The anti-racist <laughs> and minority policy committee exactly, in the, in the party. Yeah, that's I. I'm the leader of that, and I'm also the leader of the activist team in Rött, which is called the Solidaritetslaget. Well, the Solidarity Team. Uh, we arrange like uh, demonstrations. It hasn't been that much in 2020, but uh, demonstrations and uh, panel talks and uh, debates and things like that. So uh, it's uh, we work with anti-racism and uh, refugee. Um, politics. So, uh, but I started out, um, I haven't been politically active for, I've been politically active for, well, in a party setting for about four years. Um, but I've always been like politically conscious. Yeah. And always been on the left. But uh, I worked as a flight attendant most of my life, my adult life. Yeah. Uh, so I've been in SES. 11 or 12 years? 14 years. Yeah, 14 been, years. Yeah, okay. it's been 14 years. Wow. As a flight, yeah, it's time flies, <laughs> literally. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So I was actually very interested in asking you about your work as a flight attendant because we just heard in the play, um, you know, women entering the work field, specifically uh, on the tram and along the tram tracks mm-hmm. and being met with, quite a lot of resistance mm-hmm. from their colleagues. And 
I guess thinking about flight attendant work, I mean, it's quite historically a gendered role, I would say. Yeah. And you don't necessarily think of, you know, the working class struggle up in the air, perhaps. Yeah, that's true because it's uh, it's a uh, it's a job that uh, people like have. Everyone has an opinion about it, and it's, they think when they think of a flight attendant, it's like okay, someone uh, most likely a female wearing a nice uniform, serving coffee, and uh, that's that's like what people see, and they think it's really glamorous because they don't see the downsides of the job and how hard it really is, and uh, the main the job of flight attendant is to maintain security on board it's to transport people from point a to point b safely so mm. yeah that's that's the main thing and the whole service thing is just because we're already there so we need something to do uh, so uh, i i was a union representative as well before i went on unpaid leave to do political work and uh, it's really hard because uh, it used to be a job with good working conditions. I mean, the pay was good. It was a like a upper class uh, kind of job. I yeah. mean, girls from the west of Oslo would apply for the jobs and mm. they had like really strict policies on who they would hire. And if you had a dialect from uh, this is SAS in the 60s and 70s, uh, they would hire like people who spoke nicely. And it's yeah. So it's always been that kind of a job. Um, But things changed after uh, low cost airlines uh, started uh, competing with uh, established airlines. So uh, after that, it went downhill with working conditions and the pay is really, really low compared to like compared to everybody else in Norway. Mm. Yeah. And do you think that I mean would you talk politics with your colleagues because oh, yes. I mean you yeah okay yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. It's uh uh people didn't it's been a really unpolitical job for uh, it was that for a really long time because you weren't supposed to talk about politics at work uh, at work and you're supposed to be diplomatic and nice and everything but i can't i talk about politics everywhere so <laughs> but uh it was unthinkable that a pilot would vote labor arbeiderpartia about 20 years ago it was unthinkable and flight attendants as well it was they voted höyre And uh, now, after uh, our uh, working conditions have gotten this bad, people have really started to wake up and think like, okay, we we need to do something. We have to. We had unions uh, from, I think the union I'm a member of uh, started out 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was always independent and they did their own thing and it was easy to... to, um, Uh, bar- to do collective bargaining with uh, with uh, the leadership in the company, but it's uh, it's that's changed. So we needed to organize, and uh, we joined Elo about mm-hmm. six years ago. Yeah, just six years ago. So now it's uh, it's got more more like radical. Yeah. I would say radical in the air. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we're being yeah. quite radical now in the airwaves. Um, you mentioned yeah before this kind of balancing act between, you know, working as a flight attendant and then focusing on your political work. And was there something that kind of triggered you to maybe stay a bit more on the ground? Or was it, I mean, 
Was it just this kind of, because we saw also in the play, like, and you just said it now, you know, you talk politics all the time and politics is an, in, you know, intrinsic part of everything that yeah. you do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The choices you make, mm -hmm. uh, you know, where you align yourself with. Mm -hmm. So was it this kind of feeling like, okay, now I'm going to go all in or maybe, you know, the politics in the air was not enough for you? Uh, the politics in the air was definitely enough and very, very engaging. Uh, but uh, I got elected into city council and I did really good. I got a lot of votes. So I thought, okay, I have to respect like people who vote for me. So, uh, so I got the opportunity to, uh, uh, to uh, do it like uh, not like a full-time job but part-time and then I was asked to be the leader of the committee I'm a leader of I thought okay I can't do this and fly and be a union representative so I have to choose yeah so I chose I thought okay I'm gonna go on unpaid leave uh, for this year and then I'm gonna go back to flying in January but then the pandemic came and now everyone's in everyone is on unpaid leave so So uh, I was kind of lucky I didn't have to deal with NOV, but um, but I'm very unsure of how things are going to be for me uh, from from now on uh, yeah. because they're, they laid off 387 people and uh, people are still in permission, well, unpaid leave. So and they're calling people back to fly like maybe once or twice a month. So it, there's no work. So I'm probably going to continue doing political work in Rutt. But this isn't how I imagined. Like, uh, I'm not saying my career in SAS has ended. I hope not, because I really like the job. But, uh, but we'll see. But I, I, I'm able to focus on anti-racist work, which is really, really important for me. Maybe it's a bit more important than being in the air right now. Yeah. During 2020. Yeah. Yes, mm. exactly. Yes. With the, the whole Black Lives Matter movement, exactly. and well, I've done anti-racist work in SAS as well. I. Um, became the unpopular person who would school people. But that is worth it. <laughs> people need to learn. Okay, we're gonna get into your unpopularity in a short while. Yes, uh, while speaking of working women, Rosie Hammer would like to give a shout out to our friend, fellow artist and comrade, Natalie Fuika Sanchez, who is conducting the tram as we speak, actually. Uh, we asked her if she would like to request a song to follow her along the tracks of Line 12 today. So, here's to you, comrade Natalie. Ain't Got No, I Got Life by Nina Simone. Wow, Nina Simone. Those lyrics and that song was sung in 1968. Also quite a turbulent year, one could say, along with 1918 and 2020. The years were penduling right now. Um, those of you who are just tuning in, you're listening to The Radical Flu by Rose Hammer. Now, on the subject of power and politics... We have Sofia Rona with us here today in the studio. Uh, yeah, I think we'll get right back into that unpopularity uh, thing. Um, I would like to know a bit of the kind of work that you do on the ground, because I read uh, 
in an article that one of your main goals is to make Oslo a more inclusive city. Um, so I would be really interested in kind of hearing about the strategies or actions that you do to achieve that goal or try to achieve that goal. I mean, in 1919, uh, we are looking at agitation and mass striking and protest as tools uh, to gain rights. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, you know, what you're doing or what we're doing now in 2020. Okay. Uh, uh, on the ground, it, <laughs> it's, uh, well, as the leader of the... Um, Uh, as as a leader of the activist team, uh, we do demonstrations all the time, and uh, we uh, do uh, counter demonstrations when the racist groups uh, like uh, hire uh, will stand outside the parliament building and do their thing, and that um, seems like uh, uh, a small thing, but it's actually not. Because it's important that uh, people show up and show resistance to hate speech, and uh, that's uh, been it's been a big part of 2020. And uh, we also did like uh, a Bla Black Lives Matter thing in June um, before the big demonstration that was outside Parliament as well. And uh, we do that kind of thing. And uh, in in the office, it's kind of different because uh, it's more fun in the streets. Obviously, it's more fun and more. Uh, Uh, inspiring, um, but uh, in the office, it's uh, in the city hall. Uh, I, I'm in the city planning committee, so it's not like uh, the most obvious place you would do anti-racist work, but uh, it's you can still do, like, you see how big uh, the, class different is, the class difference is in Oslo because uh, in the west side of the city, people are, like, able to mobilize if there's gonna if they're going to build something in their uh, in their area and uh, they don't want it or it's in a it's uh near a beach for example or something they really mobilize and they they're rich people i mean they have their friends that are engineers and blah 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 mm -hmm. and they can like present an alternative plan and you people in the east side east side, east side they don't do that they they don't have the same They don't have the same kind of participation in uh, how the areas they live in and how they're going to be built and things like that. So, so we what we do uh, in Rött, our party, we listen to our representatives in the different boroughs of Oslo, and we ask them, okay, how do you want this? How do you do you really want like a eight-story building? In the middle of a park, or uh, mm. that's a <laughs> uh, that's a really uh, well well one example, and uh, and we use uh, like what they tell us, and we try to change the projects. We try we try to change it and better them, so it doesn't like uh, so so their voices are heard as well, but. It's not that sexy. <laughs> it, well, it's not. Uh, well, that's probably a wrong word to use, but it's not. It it, it it well, it means something to the people, to the people on when we speak on their behalf. So uh, it's not always. We don't always get things done as much as I would have liked to, because uh, the companies behind the projects are really powerful, and they have so much money, and they have lawyers and everything. So, yeah. So it's uh, it's it's tough. But we we still try. But when it comes to real anti-racist work, it's uh, you probably remember um, in uh, I think it was in February or March mm. when Sion mm -hmm. uh, stopped Islamization. You know those idiots, 
I'm allowed to say that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they wanted to use the library in Mayushtua to hold meetings and uh, the employees were like no, we are not we do not want these people here. But they're allowed according to the law. They're allowed to like rent a room and have meetings, but uh, it was really really uncomfortable for the employees. So I was contacted by uh, a friend of mine who used to be um it used to be married to um, one of the people who who's a union representative for librarians. And she told me he wants to talk to you. And I talked to him and I said, OK, I'll see what I can do. So what we did was uh, we um, um, suggested a motion so that the librarians can decide who can rent uh, rooms. If, for, if, it, if it creates a space where people feel unsafe... Well, you have like a group like Sion who want to deport Muslims. And why should they be able to use a public space like a library to hold meetings when you have kids there, you have employees with Muslim backgrounds and not only for people with Muslim background. It's also uncomfortable for people, for uh, for non-Muslims as well, because you don't want people like that in your in your work, in your workspace. It's when I fly. And I was, when I see someone pull out Hegis Durag's book, I don't do anything, but I take note. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I wish he wouldn't read that book, but I can't do anything about it then and there. So I, I, I just think people shouldn't have to deal with things like that in their workspace. And um, the motion is, I hope it's going to pass. I think the Birods Partina, the parties who rule the city, they agree with us. They understand like the principle. But I think the law is uh, kind of in the way. But we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's like meeting the law is the resistance. Yeah, yeah, feel. yeah. But it's it's the law. It's like their right to use public spaces versus uh, the employees and other user, users of the library's right not to be met with hate speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a, that's a, that's really challenging. Mm-hmm. That's a challenge. <laughs> the, the freedom of speech versus uh, versus minorities' rights not to be harassed. Yeah. So I'm thinking a little bit about what you mentioned, this kind of filtration of being in the city, hearing personal stories and personal experience, and then kind of bringing them back into the office. Mm -hmm. And do you think that cycle is, I mean, how do you find that kind of cycle of from meeting to motions, I guess? Uh, it's uh, it's tough because not everything is you're not able to do uh, you you want to help everyone right but you can't because sometimes it's the law comes in the way as I mentioned before with the library thing and uh, yeah sometimes you really you have to the law has to be changed and that's really that's really really hard and that's that has to be done in parliament so we can't do that in the city. What we can do is to work where where we where uh, the commune has power, so we can push the ruling parties to change their policies. That's what we can do. But it's uh, it's uh, yeah, we try to take as many stories as possible, and uh, and uh, and try to do something sensible about it. I don't know. I don't know if it makes sense, but. Uh, but it's uh, 
it's a it's a process that's really hard sometimes. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's uh, because before I got elected, I thought, oh, I'm going to change the world. Yeah, <laughs> that's not how it works, obviously. So, um, and you, when you're in opposition, we're in opposition from the left, and um, and we're obviously more radical. And uh, the the three parties, Arbeide Partia, MDG, and SV, they're in a coalition, and they have to work together as well. And they have to, like, come to agreement with something in between themselves. Mm. So parliamentarisk par- arbeid, it's, mm. um, it's not, yeah, it's, some, it's give and take. And sometimes you have a losses, lot of losses and some wins. But I'm hoping for a win in the library case. When will you find out about that? Um, I think before Christmas. Oh, yeah. great. Mm. I was thinking about yeah the parliamentary work and constellations of smaller, uh, you know, how is politics done in the parliament? And in 1918, just going back a little bit, um, we actually met your colleague, Mimir Kristiansen. Oh, yeah. Um, he was kind of... Uh, gave us a little chat one time mm-hmm. uh, during the process of creating this work. And uh, he's very much uh, uh, in a deep kind of conversation with this time period. And he wrote recently a book about Martin Tranmel. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was uh, describing to us a little bit like how, you know, politics was done then. Mm-hmm. And it was these kind of small constellations, mm-hmm. primarily made up of men. Yeah, and they seemed very, very impenetrable, mm. and I can't help but maybe assume, and maybe you can, you know. Uh, oh yeah, it's definitely a boys' club. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, well, not everywhere, but um, I think in uh, most of the left parties, well, Sven Rutt, I think they have like a more. It's easier for women. I hope. I think. I, I don't find it hard to like have my voice heard because, but I also have kind of attitude that makes people listen to me. I don't know, <laughs> but um, but yeah, he's he's uh, he's right that um, I hear people uh, from friends of mine who belong to the Labour Party, who are minorities, women. They say that it's sometimes they have to like struggle to have their voice heard, and I think that's uh, that's uh, a bit sad because there are really cool women. They have so many good people. So they should use them more and uh, not just stick to the same traditional all the time. You, I mean, you need to change things and you need dynamics and you need like people who think differently with different perspectives in uh, in prominent places in the party. And um, mm. uh, and when it comes to that's a thing I would like to add. When it comes to parliamentary, what's that word? Parliamentary. Name? Parliamentary. Thank you so much. It's English is my third language. So <laughs> uh, when it comes to that work, it's you can't always get things done in in the city hall or in the parliament. That's when you need strikes. That's where you need agitation groups and things like that. And uh, nonviolent, mind you, because mm. I I've been taken. Uh, <laughs> I've been blamed for so much uh, in the past months um, because of the, yeah, because of some fighting at demonstrations and thing and things. So, yeah, but uh, but that's why you need like uh, political action groups, yeah, and the grassroots. You need grassroots movements because uh, politicians don't always have the same understanding. 
Exactly. Uh, especially when they've been in politics for a long time. Yeah, they get a bit jaded. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Mm. And they lose contact with with the grassroots, and that's uh, that's not a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's almost like politics becomes separate from life itself. Exactly, and that's is, mm-hmm, yeah. mm, so that's that's why you need like new people in all the time, and when it gets like I mean, look at the states. The elections now. Uh, okay, you have Donald Trump versus Biden, and Biden. Okay, he's a uh, lesser evil, but he's still like debatable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, obviously, as a radical, radical left person, I would have loved to see Bernie Sanders instead. Mm-hmm. I think Bernie would have won definitely. Rose Hunter so. agrees. Okay, that's good. <laughs> uh, so when you have the same thing in the Democratic Party, I mean, they don't have any. They have had the same established, uh, like they have the same people who belong to the establishment all the time, and they're not giving space to someone who's more radical, who represents something different. So uh, of course, people get pissed off and they start voting for Donald Trump because okay, this at least is something different. So uh, that's uh, yeah. We should really be aware of uh, of uh, those dynamics here in Norway as well. Well, yeah. Europe, Europe, Norway, everywhere actually. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah. And I actually that's a great uh, segue into what I had also planned on asking you, which was kind of about tendencies you see arising. You kind of see at the end of the theater work, um, Hanna Adolfsson kind of criticized Marta Tunis for accusing uh, Bolshevism as being this germ, you know, this kind of mm-hmm. ideology that's spreading through and infecting, you know, the social tissue mm. of the city. And I'm wondering if you see any, you know, strong ideologies spreading throughout Oslo right now. Uh, wow, that's a heavy question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's really... Uh, yeah, in Oslo... Y- Well, we started, people who had done anti-racist work for years, we have always been like, uh, we. Uh, when it comes to anti-racist work, I, I, I think the resistance against that is like the same as the example you mentioned now. Like the Bolshevism is spreading and blah, blah, blah. Mm. People have the same resistance to anti-racist policies. Because they think, oh, it's identity politics, and uh, and they said the same same thing about the women's movement in the seventies, and it's always, whenever you challenge patriarchy, you challenge those in power, they're always going to use something like that. They're always gonna. My family, my parents are from Pakistan, and super patriarchal society, mm. and. Every t- every time there's a movement or there's a Women's Day or something like that or there's demonstration for women's rights, it's always like, oh look at them, what they're wearing and blah blah blah. It's it's always they will always find something to use against you. For uh, for society not to move forward. So uh, that's I think we should just ignore it and keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And keep going together. Yeah. Keep going together, organize because that's what they want. They want to divide us. Yeah, exactly. It's a tactic. Yeah, it's a tactic. So, uh, unfortunately, sometimes they succeed, but mm. uh, yeah. And I wanted to actually also ask you about this idea of togetherness and 
collectivity because um, you know that's their kind of motto is uh, för de fällesskap fungera. Yes. So, uh, Isn't it beautiful? It is very, very beautiful. It's very strong. Uh, striking, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering if you could maybe expand on, you know, what what that word means to you, fällesskapen, and how we can... To me, it means solidarity and wanting the same for your neighbor, for your for people in your well not only your own community and other parts of the world as well everybody wants a secure life everybody wants a secure income and they want their children to be safe and that's like and that's solidarity like wanting the same what you have for other people as well and um there's a the divide between rich and poor is in the world is too big it's mm-hmm. like the gap is too big it's getting bigger in Norway as well and if we don't do anything quickly and uh, with the policies of this government the right-wing government it's uh, it's making it worse so we need more uh, we need better uh better for dealing on gooder can you help me out here in English uh, <laughs> distribution <laughs> of exactly. uh, yeah distribution yes. of, wealth. of wealth thank yeah. you thank you yeah we need that so um and uh and also workers should be able to have more control of the workplaces of um mm. and uh yeah i mean you shouldn't have people at the top deciding everything yeah no mm. but how does uh i'm thinking a lot about uh ways of being together now mm-hmm. in 2020 yeah in this pandemic where another motto that's being kind of distributed is social distancing mm-hmm. or keep your distance mm-hmm. and how that kind of dismantles this notion of solidarity but i'm thinking about you know if you've in your groups if you've or in your work if you've encountered people that are really thinking quite radically about how we can still maintain the sense of togetherness while being apart in a way yeah yeah uh it's a uh uh this is a heavy question as well but I'll try to answer it's uh, uh yeah it's hard to stay well to keep fellesskap when you're social distancing mm. um but it's still like people are ex- they have the same experiences i mean workers are uh, uh, they're uh, on unpaid leave from their jobs everyone's on nav so what you need is someone you need i think the unions are a good good uh kind of uh um the unions can be the like the driving force for fellowship mm. okay <laughs> yeah yeah the unions um i think uh, can be a driving force for uh, for still like keeping solidarity between between be- people who have lost their jobs um and um <laughs> What was the question again? <laughs> oh my god. Radical like, forms yeah. of solidarity arising yeah. in 2020 during yeah. the pandemic. Yeah, it's it's uh, in Oslo. Yeah, in Oslo. Yeah, it's uh yeah, I think the unions and uh, um grassroots movements. That's mm. that's what I believe in always. Yeah. Mm. That's uh, and also we radical parties we need to push the parties in power to 
to keep uh, to 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 form policies that gain people who have lost their jobs and who are like uh, losing their ferie penger and mm. I mean it's really unfair. They're giving huge packages to big corporations without any. Uh, they're not. Uh, they're not asking them to use the money for something specific. They're just giving out money, and that's. Um, People, unequal distribution. Yeah, <laughs> that's very unequal distribution, and that, that's we can't we can't uh, keep doing that. So the money should be used for uh, for uh, social social things. Yeah. Yes, and actually, we are out of time today, Sophia. Oh, really? yeah. yeah, it has been really really wonderful listening to okay. you, and we are very appreciative of your work. Oh, thank you, thank you yes, for having Hedy. me. It's like I, I hope it's. Uh, I haven't. I'm not used to speaking about these issues in English, so it's like, okay, no, what's that was, word? What's that word no, again? Brilliant. <laughs> okay, okay, that's good. Thank you. I, I speak English when I fly all the time, but it's. I don't <laughs> talk about. I don't talk about these things with passengers, right? So it's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's and kind of uh, a short. Uh, to our listeners, please be sure to tune in next week to part two. Roses are red, airing the 12th of November, same time, same place. And that is one o'clock on Radio Rakel. And uh, thank you, Claire, for keeping our levels in check even this time. And if you'd like to hear the first episode again or the first part of today's show, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for The Radical Flu. And on that note, I think we'd like to go out with a bang today. Uh, we would like to play a song by Bergsonist, who is both a part of a DJ collective called Disc Woman and runs her own along with DJ Sanna called Bafak. Earlier this month, Bafak released a compilation called Love to NYC, which is an homage to their friends, their music community and the music they love. If you like what you hear, check it out on Bandcamp. And support as Bafak has decided to donate 50% of the proceeds to the Okra Project, which is an organization that supports black trans people through providing them with home-cooked meals. In the words of Disc Woman, let's amplify each other. And here's the track, Labor, Power, Commodity.